This is GNE, the podcast, Golf and Entrepreneurship, with Brendan Thomas, publisher of The Golfer's Journal. I wanted to kind of celebrate golf for what it had taught me. Obviously, I went through a stage of obsessing over my score, but ultimately I came back to the best part about the game was the places I got to go to play it and the people I met while I was doing it. So I thought celebrating that aspect of the game was actually going to be a better, a better route. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of G&E, the podcast, where each week we talk with individuals who are creating remarkable careers, lives, and businesses around this great game. And this week's guest is one that I know you all will enjoy very, very much. Brendan Thomas, who is the publisher of the Golfer's Journal, has come on the show to tell us the story of how the very popular quarterly print publication got its start. And it's an inspiring one, to say the least, that took a ton of behind-the-scenes hard work to get Volume 1 out to all the now fans like us. So since the Golfer's Journal doesn't really need an introduction, we'll just get right into our interview. So, Brendan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to this and really diving into the Golfer's Journal and how that all came to be. But before we get into that, I would love to give our audience a little background on yourself so they know who you are and how this all culminated in the Golfer's Journal. And so I know you were working at the Surfer's Journal as well, but what was going on in your career prior to that? Um, yeah, so as your listeners will probably figure out pretty quickly, I have a, a funny accent and I'm, I'm not originally from the United States, I'm originally from South Africa, but um, I've spent the last... And 12 to 15 years uh, here in the U.S. and working on in surf surf media. Um, I was the editor in chief of Surfer Magazine um, for uh, you know a number of years, and obviously worked there as the managing editor prior. And um, you know have a kind of a long uh, a long history in publishing, um, but primarily in the surf space. Um, I. Uh, uh, like a lot of other surfers, got hooked on golf. Uh, they kind of it's a perfect uh, companion sport to surfing because uh, the waves aren't always around, and when the waves aren't around, uh, it's normally a beautiful day for golf. So, um, yeah, I got I got hooked hooked on the um, on the game kind of late in life, relatively speaking. I mean, I played my whole life, but never uh, surfing was definitely my my passion in my teenage years and. Um, so golf kind of took a backseat, but it's definitely uh, it's it's starting to flip the other way at this point. Um, playing playing more golf than I spend in the in the water. Um, but yeah, so you know, I I got into the game pretty pretty intensely. Um, I bought a home on on a golf course here in Southern California, right by uh, Trestles, uh, one of the famous surf spots um, in these parts, and. Uh, and there was a city championship, the San Clemente City Championship that's played every year. And I made it my goal to, you know, play in the city championship. And obviously my I was not of a skill level to do so. Um, but, you know, I kind of got obsessed and spent far too many hours on the range uh, bashing balls and, and got my game to a level where I could compete. And, you know, while I was doing that, I was obviously um, running Surfer Magazine and just being part of the job as, you know, seeing what else, what other media outlets are, are working on and I obviously subscribed to all the, the golf magazines and um was kind of surprised that the kind of lack of, of culture that existed in those magazines. Um there's a lot of swing tips and a lot of, you know, self help and improvement um that goes in there and a lot of kind of fanning out on um the upper echelon athletes, which was kind of our bread and butter at Surf magazine as well. But, you know, uh, you know, the Surface Journal, which has been running for 27 years now, it was kind of on a different track, and it was one that I always admired. Um, it was far more about the culture and the people that make um, the sport so so unique. And it was just delivered in such a beautiful package that, you know, I, I started back, you know, it was probably 10 years ago when I first started thinking about a golf publication, and obviously... Um, has taken on many many iterations before we arrived at where we're at now. But um, you know, I started having to plant the seeds. Um, I was obviously in a different industry, but I did see a gap um, in the golf space for us to to create something a little different. Yeah, and that is why you clearly have been able to differentiate yourself and be unique in the market because, like you said, you are showcasing that phenomenal culture that is golf and. 
there was clearly a space for that. And so were you working at the Surface Journal at the time this idea mm-hmm. came to you? Well, part of the reason why I left Surfer Magazine was um, for this idea of the Golfers Journal. Um, it was a very conscious effort. Um, I was I had a pretty pretty good position um, there at Surfer Magazine, and you know, Surfer Magazine is what I, the equivalent of Golf Digest, I suppose, of uh, the surf world. So it was you know well respected. Um, the original surf publication, uh, action sports publication, and in, in fact, so it was it predated any skateboarding and snowboarding and all that sort of stuff. So it was a very prestigious position. I got to travel a lot. Um, you know, it basically checked all the boxes. But you know, I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to ultimately one day have my own business. And um, you know, I, I know I know a lot about media, uh, whether it be printed or digital, and. Um, I'm kind of being spoiled and I'm used to working in the field that I, you know, in my passion, which is, you know, was surfing. And so I wanted to create the same situation in golf. Um, so, you know, when I was at Surfer, there were these opportunities arise when you're the editor of Surfer magazine that, are, you know, most people don't get to enjoy and experience. So I kind of was on the lookout for anything that was golf related. And, um, you know, I, I got to, I was interviewed a couple of times by Golf Digest for stories they were working on. Got to meet some of the writers that worked over there. Um, then, uh, kind of fortuitously, a friend of mine uh, introduced me to Scotty Cameron, who had opened his um, Palo Gallery in Encinitas, California, and it was a kind of a surf, surfy golf tie-in. And they wanted to get some editorial uh, in Surfer Magazine, and. You know, typically we, I would have recalled in horror from something that isn't in the surf space because surfers are very, uh, very precious about outsiders coming into their sport. <laughs> so you know, but I, I did, you know, I knew a lot about Scotty Cameron and um, I knew kind of his position in the in the golf industry. And I, you know, I left at the opportunity to go play golf with him and spend some time with him. And we, uh, yeah, we went out and golfed and kind of became fast friends and. Uh, had a lot of shared interests and um you know that was kind of one of the the early pillars of the golfers journal just having access to someone like scotty cameron um and then obviously through through surfer i uh met the guys at links Albert, john and jeff cunningham um i was really impressed with the stuff that they were doing so um you know kind of casually reached out to them and just let them know i liked what they were doing and if there was anything i could do to help them um i would and you know they were they're they're kind of the opposite. They're golfers who are obsessed with surfing, so they were happy to um, <laughs> to talk to me and and chat about surfing uh, for hours on end. Um, but yeah, you know, so I had some I had some leg ups in that regard just from my position at Surfer. So you know, I had a, a small network in the in the golf industry, and that was basically the extent of it. Um, but I knew when I came over to the Surfer's Journal that uh, the Golfer's Journal would be uh, on the horizon. It was really about um, you know, I understood publishing, I understood editorial, but I didn't understand the niche publishing world. I was working in mass media at the time. So coming over to the, the Surface Journal was definitely an attempt to learn the final piece of that puzzle. Okay, so you go to the Surface Journal to really hone in and learn this niche aspect of publishing, as you were mentioning, but you clearly had this idea for the Golfers Journal kicking around for a while. I think you said there it was... 10 years or something like that. And so when did the idea come to fruition? Like that moment where it was like, okay, we're going for this. This is the brand ethos. Let's give this thing a go. Um, it kind of came came on slowly. It took a number of routes uh, before it arrived at what it is. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of uh, market need from the industry to say, like, we want to go younger. We want to speak to millennials and all that sort of stuff. And I, I was... Uh, you know, tempted to kind of, you know, go down that road and make some sort of like, you know, youth oriented, some, if someone coming from uh surf could potentially pull that off. But, um, but I just felt it was a little contrived because it's not really, you know, golf is one of those games where young and old can take part and, um, you know, a teenager can connect with a retiree in, this, in a round of golf. And there's very few sports that can do that. So I was, I felt I was, limiting myself by going after what you know the industry thought it needed um 
I wanted to I wanted to kind of celebrate golf for what it had taught me. Obviously, I went through a stage of obsessing over my score, but ultimately I came back to the best part about the game was the places I got to go to play it and the people I met while I was doing it. Um, so I thought celebrating that aspect of the game was actually going to be a better a better route. Um, and then really, you know, the Surface Journal is a beautiful blueprint for something like this. I mean, the the two passions are very similar. They um, they kind of solitary, but and there's a lot of elements of travel and venture, and um, there's almost like a spiritual element to both of them um, that you know you don't really see in the professional game. So it was a uh, you know it was pretty easy to come up with the editorial ethos, but obviously the the brand, the two brands would, are already very, very different. Um, surfers like to go and ride waves on their own and have no one else around them, whereas golfers are happy to, you know, congregate and share stories. And uh, and so already, already <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the brands are um, heading off in divergent paths. Yeah, and I think you made a great point there. I, too, have gone through the obsession of score and honing your game, but really at the end of the day, what makes golf great is the relationships made and the places you get to go. And like you said there, there is this travel component and this culture in golf that people might not understand. And I think you guys have done a really good job of attracting people to the sport because you're showing how cool it really is. But at this moment in the story of the Golfer's Journal, you know what the publication is going to be about. You see that there is a need for this in golf, but from there, there's a lot of work. And so what was your next move? Well, firstly, you know, making a book like this is not cheap. So I knew I had to get um, some sponsors to, and we call them sponsors because they don't just advertise us. They, they pretty much underwrite everything we do and, and uh, feature on everything we do, whether it's the print publication, um, digital, or our events. Um, so we, I had to go out and find people that were willing to buy into this idea. And, I mean, just because I knew... Uh, Scotty Cameron and, and John and Jeff at Linksoul didn't necessarily mean that we were going to get that. Um, so, I, you know, I went out and, and my first port of call was to schedule some time with Scotty. Um, and, you know, we he was gracious enough to spare a couple hours and we sat in his gallery and just kind of brainstormed for a couple hours. And what was supposed to be, you know, an hour meeting turned into an entire afternoon. And we came up with just so many ideas and stories and, and at that point uh, you know he said I'm in and I kind of was like whoa this is uh kind of gone about this backwards you know now I've got something willing someone willing to support something that doesn't exist um <laughs> I obviously need to go out and get more people <laughs> to agree and then I have to create create something obviously so I um you know as it follows my next stop pretty much on the way home from Scotty's was to stop at Linksall and and kind of tell them about this and and both Jeff and John you know really wanted this to exist um they've kind of always uh toyed with the idea of having a publication they've done um you know the yardage book which was the Ashworth essentially catalog but um done in a very artful way i mean they they're familiar with publishing and how difficult it is and how costly it can be and but they really loved what it represented so um you know, John was. I went to play John with golf with John on a Friday afternoon at Goat Hill, and he just kind of casually throws out like, "Okay, I'm in." You know, do you need any help? And then I was like, "Okay, I've got two sponsors. I've got no editor. I've got no photo editor. I've got nothing really. Um, so I better go and get all that kind of in place." Um, so again, through the surf world, I I had met. Um, a couple of people at the PGA Tour who are, you know, really into surfing, and we'd gone surfing together. So during the Players Championship, I I went made a trip out east and um, went and during their busiest time went and had had a meeting with some of the executives at the PGA Tour, which uh, was a pretty interesting experience because I was, um, you know, wandering around in sandals and and a t-shirt and uh, my surf hat, um, and <laughs> I did not out like a sore thumb. Yeah, absolutely. I walked into the PGA Tour HQ where everyone was wearing suits and and ties pretty much um, and uh, sweating profusely because it was a really hot day. Um, so I didn't really feel very comfortable walking in there, but, you know, it was they were great. They kind of 
heard heard me out, kind of had an idea of um, of who to who to recommend to kind of help me in my my search to create this thing. And um, one of the the execs there, Ty Votai, just you know spent five minutes with me and just said, oh, I know exactly who you should call. Um, it's a guy named Travis Hill who is a surface, I mean, a golf historian. Um, he used to work at the Hall of Fame and uh, has some experience in publishing. So, you know, I, he gave me his cell phone number. I texted him and said, hey, you don't know me. Um, I got your number from Todd. Do you want to meet for a drink at the players tomorrow? And he was like, sure, you know. Um, and we uh, we met on, at the 17th hole, um, and it was a, like a really awkward first date kind of thing. Um <laughs> So I think it was like 10 a.m. and I suggested we get a cocktail and, and to, to kind of make this a little less awkward. And uh, we just spent the day chatting about my idea. And I had a copy of the Surface Journal as, um, as kind of an example of what I wanted to do. And Travis is such a, you know, he's such a gregarious uh, guy. And um, we, we just got along really well and had a lot of laughs. And then... Um, you know, a few months later, he was my managing editor. So it was I had Golfers Journal East and Golfers Journal West, basically, um, and it was just the two of us on the editorial side, um, and still didn't have a brand identity or anything like that. But we we had some people kind of uh, in place. We had some sponsors, two of them, and uh, and I had a managing editor. So I was like, okay, well, we're, we're edging our way. Oh, this is real. A real thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that is what is so great about your story is the fact that you just took it one step at a time. Like you had this idea, then you get sponsors and you have to get an editor and all of a sudden you have to create something. And so how long after all this came together did the first volume come out? Did it take a while or was it more of like uh, hit the panic button? We have a few months to create something. We better get started. No, we, we, we took a while to get off the ground still. Um, it's, it felt at the time like we were on a train that was, you know, unstoppable and we were um we were gonna be published before the summer, but uh or at least have our first issue to the printer um before summer started. But um you know getting sponsorship wasn't as easy as those first two. I mean I had a, uh, relationships with those uh those two brands and um and then Electric Sunglasses heard about it, and they they were they are making a push in golf, and they they uh, they loved the the idea and the ethos, and they were like, you know, we're in before you get this to anyone else. We want to secure our our position as the as your sunglass sponsor for for the book. And um, so I had three, and then we we just stalled out basically because uh, it was a case of me having to you know wiggle my way into an industry that was foreign to me. Um, and uh, and it I won't say it, it was difficult. I mean, I had I obviously had some big advocates on my side, and they were able to introduce me to people. Um, but you know, I had to do some some things that were pretty far out of character for me um, <laughs> to to get this done. You know, yeah, showing and, up. And what I, was that pushing out of character? Was it sales? Yeah, sales is. Yeah, sales has never been my thing. Um, I I'm not a salesman, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> editor, but, editor by trade. Yeah, editor by trade, um, and never really had to deal with that sort of thing. Um, you know, and especially with the requests that are so typical of of advertising bars now. It's like you know, can we get editorial, and can we get this, and can we get that, and you know, the whole concept of the of the golfers journal is to kind of be editorially pure and not, you know, editorial is not for, not for sale. And, um, we're going to be telling great stories. And if you believe in what we're doing, then you're going to be fine with it. But obviously these are, you know, in many instances, billion dollar companies who have advertising agencies and, yeah, and they're um, looking for hard know, ROI, things like that. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's the ROI gets thrown out all the time and you're going to go, you got to say, Hey, you just got to believe, <laughs> which is, uh, <laughs> it's a lot to which ask. Is tough for people to do. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of stalled out, but at the same time, I, I kind of had this dogged unwavering belief that we would get p- people on board. Um, and we'd have enough sponsors to launch. Um, and we had the number six in our mind uh, only because the Surface Journal has had six sponsors for its entire history. Um, but, you know, there was uh, there were some moments that 
even though we were out creating editorial, you know, a, my, a, a buddy of mine, a surf photographer, and I flew out to Texas to spend some time with Jimmy Walker, and we were out there, um, you know, flying around, renting cars, renting hotels, and all of this without, uh, you know, even a brand identity at that point, uh, and no guarantee that the sponsors would come on board. So, um, you know, I was spending my own money at that point and, um, you know, registering URLs and doing all that sort of stuff. And um, it was it was kind of scary, but, uh, you know, I, I guess it all worked out <laughs> in the end. Yeah, I mean, that is just awesome. And to hear that with this being an entrepreneurship podcast and golf and what you just said there is kind of everything. It's putting it on the line for something you believe in and having that belief that it's all going to pan out. And clearly you got people to buy into the idea. And eventually I know you got six sponsors and it was time to get that first volume out there. And for you guys, I'm sure your editing process is, is pretty fine tuned by now, but what was that first volume like? Um, it ended up being a mad dash because we, we had, um, you know, like I said, we stalled out on three sponsors. We were out kind of tentatively, creating editorial with no real um, money to pay for the editorial. And um, I, you know, kind of said to the three sponsors, like, look, if we don't publish, there's no risk here. You know, we're not going to ask for money up front. We're only going to invoice you for um, the first issue once it hits the newsstand, so to speak. Um, So we didn't really have a whole lot of operating capital, but then um, the the owners of the Surface Journal, who um, rightfully believed that, you know, the machine that they've created to publish the Surface Journal could could sustain and actually would benefit from another title. Um, they they came on board and, and started helping with um, with some funding, and uh, we kind of kept moving forward tentatively. Travis was out there reaching out to um, his contacts that he knew, and even you know, kind of reaching out cold to to some very talented writers. Um, you know, and credit to him, he did a great job of pitching him the idea. Um, you know, writers are facing increasingly tough times with, you know, payment for their work. And we were, we were saying like, look, you know, our contributors are going to be, um, among our most important things, uh, important aspects of our business, because obviously our readers are our most important. Um, and, and our contributors who create all this content would be looked after. So we went out and reached out to, to people that, um, we felt would be unique voices in the space and who kind of understood what we were um, trying to achieve. And, you know, Travis got a lot of them to, to buy it and sign on. And obviously it's becoming easier and easier um, to do that now. But um, back to that first issue, we, uh, you know, through Scotty's um, connections with Titleist, we, they were, you know, very, they they weren't sold initially on the on the concept. Um, again, this is a, a billion dollar company that has ad agencies, and I got palmed off to the ad agency, and um, that didn't go well. Eventually, they basically said no. And I think um, you know Scotty kind of strong armed a little bit and talked talked uh, to some of the executives and and kind of forced his hand and made you know got me a meeting with some of them, and I was able to convince them that this was something that we should try. Um, so when Tideless came on, I felt like that was a real uh, watershed moment because of you know just the prestige that the brand has, and um, and we had you know four sponsors that were uh, you know very reputable, um, exactly the type of um, brands we wanted to partner with, and uh, and then you know we got G4 on board. I went and um, through a friend of a friend got introduced to Massimo and kind of barged into his life and uh, drove up to Santa Monica and met with him and. Um, convinced him to come on. I think his, you know, he said we're the size of a fly's ass. Um, <laughs> how we, how do you expect us to do this? And I just said, look, you know, we're going to make it. Uh, it's going to be obviously worth worth it for you from a from a advertising standpoint, but also, you know, we want to create this premium experience. So, you know, let us um, include G4 gloves in our premium founder package. Um, at that point, I thought we were going to have, you know maybe a hundred or a couple hundred uh, founding subscribers, which is essentially like a, you know, a more expensive package, uh, a subscription package, which includes a gift from, um, from our sponsors every year. 
Um, so it was kind of like, you know, that, that was kind of, I think what pushed them over the edge to commit to this. And then, um, as I said, I had to do things out of character. My, uh, I showed up at the No Let's HQ, um, for, a for a gin tasting with where their CEO would be speaking. And, um, and I cornered him at this event and kind of told him what I was about. And he was, um, you know, Bill, Bill launched Kettle One in the United States and had a, a good relationship with Arnold Palmer. And so he knew golf. And I guess he saw something in the Golfers Journal that he wanted to attach to. So, you know, he said, meet me for lunch next week and we'll talk about it. And, you know, we had our six sponsors at that point. Wow, that is an inspiring story. And for someone who says they're not much of a salesperson, I think you did a pretty good job. But did you find that pushing yourself out of that comfort zone uh, you know, helped you grow as not just a businessman, but also as a person in the long run? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, that's how you learn, right, is, is putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. But, um, you know, a lot of it was, was kind of desperation. I mean, I think we were... Um, almost a year down the road at this point. Um, and, you know, I'd spent money on editorial and um, and other business things that you kind of have to do. Um, and it was like, if I don't get this done, it's going to all be in vain. So there were some desperate measures and some, you know, working, not to mention all the kind of long nights that I'd spent um, getting everything together. Um, it, there was a bit of desperation that led to that and um that's probably what was enough to push me out of my comfort zone a bit um but yes you know we had six six sponsors at that point and um we had to get a magazine out now because uh the the year was wearing on and we wanted to get we wanted to launch in the summer while people were still golfing on the east coast and uh and um we had to move to get that done so i i leveraged my contacts in the surf world and Travis uh, leveraged his in the golf world, and we basically put together this kind of motley crew of writers and photographers to to put the first issue together. Um, and yeah, we, we we pulled we only just pulled it off as far as getting the editorial together. And, and at that point, um, you know, it was just Travis and I, and then the, the art director from the Surface Journal um, working on this thing. So we had no photo editor, and um, yeah, and I, I had uh, some obviously connections in in the surf world, the action sports world, with uh, with our fantastic copy editor Kim Stravers, and um, you know we we got together this little crew who were all willing to kind of take a chance. And um, when the first issue came out, it was so well received that we kind of we had already built issue two by the time issue one had come out because of our lead times. But uh, we felt like we were onto something. Um, it was so well received. I mean, even in just the kind of small influencer circle that um, that had found out about it early on, that uh, you know, it, it started ballooning pretty quickly after that. Yeah, and it's just amazing what you can do when your back is against the wall. You have to get creative and go outside your comfort zone, and eventually, all that hard work paid off for you. And I'm curious, uh, on that first volume that you got out there, uh, you had the Broken Tee logo on the cover. And in the short time, it's become pretty iconic with golfers. And so what is the story behind that? Well, it's it's actually, there's a lot of uh, serendipity there. Um, when I first pitched the, the idea of the Golfers Journal um, to the publishers of the Surface Journal, I said, th- I said exactly like, I want to put a Broken Tee on the cover. And they kind of laughed at me like that was a stupid idea because, uh, you know, what does that even mean? Um, But to me, it kind of meant that golf had been played, you know, and uh, it was just something that I thought was visually interesting. Um, And then Jeff Cunningham introduced me to Kojo Kino, who's our, you know, our photo editor now. Um, And I asked him for a selection of photos to be the profile in the first issue. And one of the photos that he submitted was a, a an iPhone photo of a broken tee. Um, so we, I was like, wow, that's, that's really random. And, um, I told our art director to try it on the cover and he thought it was great. And, um, and, you know, we were trying to come up with at the time was really just a, a social media avatar, some sort of, you know, image, um, that would be used, you know, across all of us. Yeah. It would represent what the yeah. golfers journal stood for. 
Yeah, and I mean, in the early iteration, it was just a just a, a G, you know, in a circle, and it looked very similar to Golf Digest. Uh, you know, it looked kind of kind of underwhelming, frankly. Um, and I, you know, I said to Jeff Cunningham, who's a brilliant artist and uh, and designer, you know, to send him off to kind of create our social avatar. Um, and we tried a number of things, and just nothing was working. Everything was like just didn't feel right. And then, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I just had the epiphany, like, we've got the T on the cover. Why don't we just, you know, knock that out and make that our logo? And Je- and it, was, it wasn't as easy as that. Um, I mean, Jeff wasn't being paid at this point. I promised him I'd get him a surfboard <laughs> if he did this for us. Um, and he he went off and, and wandered Goat Hill for weeks trying to find the perfect broken T because the one on our cover um, wasn't really conducive to to a graphic. So he went off and, you know, searched far and wide for the perfect T and eventually he found it and, uh, you know, he made the graphic and, um, you know, immediately it was like, it was obvious to me that that was going to be uh, very recognizable and it was something really cool that um, that we would use all over the place. Um, and then we started seeing people posting it on social media, like broken tees. And we were like, Whoa, I think this is something we can latch onto. Um, and basically amplify that message by when someone sends a picture of a broken tee, we would, you know, retweet it or repost it. And before we knew it, we had this, you know, collection of people out there from, yeah, all you over started the, the movement in golf. Uh, yeah, sending uh, sending photos of broken tees from around the world at you know famous golf courses at you know big time events, um, you know it was really cool to see that happen. And then obviously, uh, you know one of our one of our users or well, users one of our followers uh, came up with the hashtag Broken Tea Society, and we were like, all right, we'll just run with that. I was a bit um, skeptical of it at first because something like that in the surf world would be. Uh, laughed out of the room, you know, because um, everyone's trying to outcool each other. But I just thought it was so representative of what we're trying to do, which is to create uh, to create a, create a group of you know like-minded people. Our, our subscribers are are into the, into the game, who love the game the same way we do. Um, it was kind of perfect, and it just kind of happened organically. And and that has definitely helped. Um, that logo alone has helped us so much in you know creating what we've what we've got today. Yeah, it has been a lot of your brand identity and you all have been very successful with that by creating a community, as you were mentioning, and more so a movement in golf that just catapulted your business so quickly. And since a lot of our listeners are starting things of their own outside of this community development, um, what kind of marketing techniques did you use to grow that subscriber base after launching Volume 1? Um, it was... As much as we could do, given our budgets, um, which was, you know, we had printed 30,000 magazines and we, we had them sitting here and we wanted to get them in the right hands. So we sent copies to people, social media influencers, um, with no expectation that anyone would, you know, do anything with it. Um, so we sent it out to, um, to you know, the, the influencers out there in, in, on Instagram and Twitter and hoped something would come back. We had, um, you know, we had people in the magazine that we, that were featured. We had the, the, the contributors that were in there, um, you know, promoting the fact that this thing existed. Uh, we didn't, um, we didn't actually spend any money on, on social media marketing for issue one. Um, we really just relied on word of mouth. Um, and, you know, in much the same way of, as we try to, uh, you know, I had to wiggle into the industry to get our sponsors on board. I just kind of wiggled into um, the influencer space as well. We, you know, Travis knew people um, from his days working at the PGA Tour. Um, he sought out DJ Pahaski, um, who has subsequently become our contributing editor, and he he hosts our podcast. Um, you know. Eric Lang was featured in issue one, um, you know, drove up, up there and with our photographer and he bought into what we were doing and, you know, gave it some social love. We, uh, yeah, we just kind of, we kind of launched organically. Um, and, and I don't know, it was, it was one of those things where I can't really put a, my finger exactly on what worked and what didn't, um, as far as, 
uh, social media and marketing strategy was concerned. But we were very um, we were very loose with issue one. Basically, we were saying, you know, if someone's interested in getting this uh, this magazine, whether it's for a tea prize at a golf tournament or a um, you know, sending copies to PGA Tour events, that sort of thing. Um, we we were getting it out there as, as best we could. Um, obviously, that benefits our sponsors, and it also uh, benefited us because it just having thirty thousand of these books out in the world is uh, is marketing in itself. You know, the product has to speak for itself, um, and that's something we're intensely aware of, uh, and never take our eye off the fact that you know if we don't create something that's exceptional and unique, um, then all of that buzz can go away. Um, so it's always remained a primary primary driving force of, of the Golfers Journal. Absolutely. And I think that is something we all appreciate so much is the quality of work that goes into each volume. It's not just the writing and the photography, but also the physical presence of it. I think it just looks really good on a coffee table. Every time a friend of mine comes over and has never seen it before, they always comment on it, and if they are a golfer, they usually go check it out. So that's, uh, like you said, um, just having it out there in the world is getting new subscribers and brand awareness. But to continue on with the conversation from the perspective of a fan of the publication like myself, I think it would be a lot of fun to discuss what goes on behind the scenes. And so what is the publishing process like for a new issue? So Travis and I you know, speak on the phone almost daily um, talking about the editorial, and the problem we faced, and I suppose this is often the case with uh, companies that are trying to do something that is new and different, is you know there wasn't kind of existing material for us to use. There was some, you know, obviously photos have been taken already um, from you know the, the retrospectives we do. Those photos exist, um, but really the type of editorial we we're trying to create didn't exist. So we had to go out and make it. Um, and that's been something I didn't anticipate. Um, the Surface Journal has got such a long history. I mean, great features just show up. People are out there adventuring and uh, and documenting their adventures, and and we benefit from that. Whereas in golf, um, there are obviously a lot of people out there enjoying the game, but they're not kind of capturing it to the level that we we were looking for. Um, and there was a lot of you know, there's brilliant photographers who are mainly following the tour and um and then there's another bunch of photographers who are out there just shooting beautiful scenics and they do a fantastic job of that but we couldn't have a magazine that was just pretty golf courses um you know we we're trying to shine a lot on the entire culture which is you know it's not just golf porn um, <laughs> yeah it's experience it's it's all kinds of things. It's, you know, interesting people telling great stories in dive bars as well as people getting to play a bucket list golf course um, So and, and everything in between. So we had to go out and create a lot of this stuff, and we still do. Um, we ended, I didn't anticipate having us having to fly trusted photographers around the country and around the world to capture the, the photos we were after um, or send writers out to to kind of write about it either. So that's been something that um, has been surprising, but, you know, what that does for us is that we're able to just conjure up the stories we want to, we want to, want to cover. Um, so Travis and I basically shop for our own closet a little bit. You know, we were just like, well, I want to hear a story about this. Let's go and make that story. And I want to go and see photos of this place. Let's go and shoot those photos. And that's kind of what it is still. Um, we obviously have the benefit of people pitching us ideas, and some of them are um, some of them are okay, and some of them are just fantastic. And we we've already run a number of you know reader submitted uh, ideas, um, and you know gone out and and reported on those things, and um, they've been received really well. Um, there's a lot of there's people out there experiencing all the things that we. Um, want to cover so when we we get that feedback we take it very seriously because they're out living it you know uh, we're you know stuck in an office most of the time bashing away at keyboards so um, you know that's kind of it's a mixture of found stories from our readers and from uh, journalists and photographers but we also conjure up um, you know at least half the magazine just uh, between Travis and I and DJ. 
Okay, cool. And that actually segues perfectly into my next topic I would love to talk about, which is the team. And something I have talked about on multiple past podcasts is the freelance economy we live in and that you can, you know, have a pretty robust business and use freelancers on a per project basis, allowing you to grow and stay lean at the same time. And so for you all at the Golfers Journal, is it a staff of writers and photographers or is it more of a per project basis with uh, freelancers? Um, it's it's very much uh, a mixture. We have editorially, it's it's more freelance stuff um, and we have a lot of contract work. But the actual business of producing the magazine, um, you know, printing it, warehousing it, fulfilling it, managing the subscription, um, the subscriptions, that's all done in-house. So we have a staff, an operations team that's, uh, that's here permanently full-time, and our editorial team is kind of scattered all around the country. Um, we have uh, a couple guys on the East Coast. Um, our copy editors in Arizona, our designers up in Santa Cruz, um, Kojo, our photo editors up in Huntington Beach. Um, none of them are in the office, you know, day to day. We get together a couple times a year, um, and we do our best to kind of see each other as often as possible. But it's very much, um, you know, spread around the country and around the world uh, from people that are actually making the editorial. And obviously, technology's allowed us to do that. Um, when I started editing Surfer, that wasn't really an option. Um, but you know, now we can. And that's great for us, great for the product and obviously for us as a business because we have, uh, you know, people living in different communities, seeing different story ideas, um, having different, uh, you know, influences on on their uh, editorial pitches, um, which we wouldn't get if we were just, you know, California-centric, um, which is great. And uh, from a business standpoint, we, we benefit from you know, shared overheads, basically. The Surface Journal is running up the same building, um, so we can, uh, you know, we have exactly the right people who know what they're doing working on this. Um, and that's one benefit that's, you know, typically when I when I talk about the Golfers Journal, I don't get to speak about, but the people that work on both titles are are so good and so professional, and they've been, you know, unsung heroes in this whole thing. Um, they do the less glamorous work of, you know, customer service and um, distribution and uh, circulation management and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, it's been, they're the unsung heroes, you know, but, and they make sure the magazines get to the subscribers on time. And if there's a problem that we provide an exceptional level of customer service to get them replacement copies. And, and uh, if you position yourself as a premium brand, uh, we have to, we have to deliver on that in every front, not just on the, in the final product. Yeah, that is really interesting. And we've been talking a lot about the growth of the brand and what has gone into getting it off the ground. But I would love to chat about what life is like for you as a publisher. It's a, it's a different work life than a lot of careers. And so I'm curious, uh, what does a week look like for you? I mean, I'm sure it varies vastly, uh, but if you are in the publishing mode, you know, what is that like? Well, it's a lot of it right now is not really indicative of what it will be, I'm sure. Um, you know, we something that I've spent, you know, a lot of a lot of my time since the Golfers Journal existed, um I spent a lot of my time on is is creating a circulation management system. Um we the Surface Journal's been using a number of uh you know, third parties to kind of help us with our circ management and that's basically you know, taking orders, making sure that there's, uh, we're keeping track of the copies shipped to subscribers and all that sort of stuff. And it's really the the, the beating heart of the business is is the circulation. Um, and I spend an inordinate, a crazy amount of time with uh, just building this new system that we've created. Um, and it's a proprietary system that obviously is unique to our publishing, our publishing, but is kind of white label enough that it could be expanded elsewhere if we were so inclined. But really, that's as far as the publisher is concerned, the majority of our time is building an e-commerce solution that, um, that keeps um, all of our circulation stuff in check as well. So a seamless integration between 
what the user sees on the website to um, what that means on the back end here as far as fulfilling copies and earning revenue and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, if we're talking about my publishing hat, um, I spend a lot of time doing that and um, and then obviously sponsor relations. I don't have... Uh, I don't have a lot of advertisers, and my promise to my sponsors is that we're not just going to slap a, a spread ad in a book and chat to each other once a year. I'm kind of working behind the scenes here to come up with um, ways to incorporate their brands into our events, um, to come up with unique ideas for our subscribers um, that incorporates their brands. Um, so that's kind of that's the true publishing part of what I work on. But, you know, obviously I'm still... Um, very heavily involved in editorial. Um, my my mission is obviously to have less of a say in the editorial as we go along, but you know I've got to get everyone marching to the same beat, and um, I've got obviously um, the vision and the experience to know what I want us to get to. So, um, and I want my editor team to to get there. So I spend a lot of time kind of drilling in the ethos and. Um, you know, working with the editors and photographers and making sure that every book is kind of touching all the, the points we want to touch. And um, so I kind of wear a number of hats on that front. Um, you know, I'm still in, heavily involved in editorial and um, and the publishing side of it, you know, like I said, we have somewhat of a machine in place. So a lot of the, the things that we, a typical startup would have to endure, um, you know, little things like how do we get phones in our office and how do we, you know, work out the USPS postage uh, rates and all that sort of stuff. We already have all that in place. So in that respect, it's been a lot easier for me than, you know, someone who's truly starting up in, in publishing. And um, we've managed to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that other niche publications have fallen into. Um, yeah, that is fascinating to hear from your perspective on what you're doing in a day in, day out basis, publishing a print publication. And sounds to me like you're basically in full startup mode wearing many hats. And a fun question we like to ask people running a business or just starting one in golf is uh, since starting the Golfer's Journal, do you play more or less than you did before? <laughs> um, obviously less. I'm I'm working a lot. Um, but that said, uh the quality of golf I'm playing, like a quality golf course, has improved drastically. Um, you know, we get to we get to go and we have subscribers inviting us to come play their their home courses, and you know, sometimes we take them up on that, and other times we're just too busy. But um, we've got to travel and play some good golf courses. Um, you know, it's now something that's completely justifiable in my in my life is to go out and play golf. Um, I have to maintain at least some semblance of a game. And, uh, you know, I, I don't look at it any differently now. I obviously kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new to the golf industry, but I've, I can see what's under the hood, how all the gears are working at the brands and um, at the courses. And I understand, you know, even just from the editorial, we create the sort of economics of golf a bit better. Um, but that doesn't take away from you know, the actual playing of the game. Uh, I'm still in love with it and enraged by it and all the rest that goes with being a golfer. Um, but it's, you know, it's my favorite thing to do is to go out and spend, you know, four to five hours, you know, focusing on this kind of meaningless thing to do, which is chase the white <laughs> ball around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, rather than, you know, obsessing over, you know, all the kind of minutiae of what it takes to run a business. Yep, I am with you on that. I was naive, though, and I thought I would play more, but I play way less than I did before. But like you're saying, when I do get out, it becomes way more enjoyable getting the chance to just immerse yourself into the activity. But to close out our interview, I have been mentioning that I think another aspect to focus on when it comes to getting more people into golf is uh, you know, showing what it gives back to your life in return if you just start. And so for you, if you had to look back at your life with golf, what is something it has given you besides the Golfer's Journal that you are most grateful for? Um, it's, it's a little bit corny or sentimental, but um, I uh, I didn't have something to connect with my, my father and my grandfather with when I was a surfer. Um, they didn't do that. 
And um, when I was younger, my grandfather took me out playing when I was, you know, just a kid. And I got to spend time with him that I wouldn't have otherwise spent with him. And um, it's the games allowed me to kind of reconnect with my, my dad. Um, you know, we live in different continents, so we don't see each other as often. But, you know, when he comes out or I go out there, we, we have something that we really both enjoy and um, we're able to uh, connect on. Um, and that, that was kind of absent from my life when I wasn't golfing. So I would say that's probably, to me, the best part of the game is just my relationship with my my parents and grandparents. Yeah, I can relate to that. That's a great answer. And for myself as well, it's been a huge bonding experience for me with my family and friends. And I think a lot of our listeners would probably agree. But Brendan, this has just been awesome. You know, I know I've taken up enough of your time. And so thank you so much for peeling back the curtains and allowing us to see what goes on behind the scenes with the Golfer's Journal. This has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate your time. All right. And that wraps up our interview with Brendan Thomas. A big thank you to him for coming on the show and taking the time to tell us all about the Golfer's Journal. And if you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. And hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Ryan C. Walker underscore. I would love to hear from you. And until next time, thanks again for listening today.